We're going to be talking this morning about proofs for the resurrection. So I want to pray for us, and then we'll just jump right in. Jesus, I pray that you would just control my, my mouth as I speak. God, I pray that you would, um, God, by your spirit, that you would guide me. Um, Lord, I pray that you guide these guys as they listen. Lord, I pray that you would lead us all with your spirit. God, we thank you that you've risen from the dead. And I pray that even now as we examine proofs from your word and from other sources that you've made available to us, God, I pray that we would be um, convinced anew of the, of the resurrection, God, and that we'd be able to passionately share with other people. God, I pray that you would just guide our time today, God, and that our confidence would be in you and in your power and your word and your resurrection. Jesus, we love you. We thank you that you've given us hope. We thank you that you've written the Bible even in a way to tell us exactly what happened on that crucial weekend. And Lord, I pray that um, you'd just give us ears to hear today. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Do you really believe that Jesus raised from the dead? All right. No, no. For real, though. Not, not going for a cheer, but think about it. Like, do you honestly believe that Jesus was in a body that he was dead for three days and came back to life? Because you know, in the world's eyes, that puts you in the same category as folks that believe in UFOs. Right? Seriously. In the world's eyes, we're foolish for believing the resurrection. Because uh, for a lot of people, they, they put the resurrection, Jesus raised him from the dead. They'll say, man, miracles can't happen. You can't have somebody raised from the dead. And they'll put you in a category of like... Um, Ghost hunters and, you know, UFO specialists. I, I was in Murphy, uh, which is the next town over last week, and I was going to Zaxby's, and um, I got behind a truck. It was like a purple, I'm colorblind, but I think it was purple. Uh, so if I ever wear anything funny this week, you know, oh, poor guy. Uh, I'm, I can't see colors very well. Anyway, I was behind this purple truck, I think, and it said on, this, on the tailgate, really big, it was like, haunted tours. And I thought, oh, like... Halloween, but it's not anywhere near Halloween. And when they got turned into Taco Bell over there, I noticed that on the side that it said things like haunted houses, haunted bridges, uh, ghosts. I forget what it, it basically like they test and see if you got ghosts and then they take tours of these places. Y'all seen these TV shows? They're terrible. You know, they do everything in like night vision and they bring out the boogeyman box and be like, click, 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 click. Oh. There's definitely a boogeyman in here. It's cold. Look at this. The box can't be wrong, you know? And everybody's like, man, that boogeyman box, it said there was a ghost in there, you know? And like, no one really believes those shows. Hopefully, right? No one in here really believes those shows? Somebody does, or else they wouldn't be on the air. But, you know, I, but I think really the way the world views Christians a lot, especially with respect to things like the flood, any miracles, especially the resurrection. They view it in the same way they view, like, UFOs. Because, like, with UFOs or ghosts, there's kind of like a, you know, there's people that say they've seen them. There's eyewitness testimony, but come on, you know. And there's, uh, there's physical evidence, but come on. I mean, there's, like, residue on the walls and stuff like that. And it's just like, man, come on, we can't take that seriously. And I think that's how people view the resurrection, that they'll say, sure, there's eyewitness testimony, but come on, man. I mean, sure, there's like physical evidence, like an empty tomb, but it could have been anything else. So when we're looking at proofs of the resurrection, man, it's, it's a very, very important topic. 
because of what Bertie was talking about at the end, uh, man, I love the illustration he gave about jumping off the climbing tower with the umbrella, right? Because he's talking about the object of your faith matters. And here, the resurrection is what all of Christianity hinges on. And so the object of our faith here really, really matters. So it's crucial for us to examine what happened that weekend where Christ died and was raised from the dead. That is the most crucial weekend in history. Because you think about it, all of history leading up to that was pointing towards that weekend. And all of history since has been looking back at that one weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So what happened on that weekend is crucial for you and, and for me. So I want to look into it. How, how do we know that the object of our faith is solid? I want to look in several proofs and I want to look at uh, some kind of objections to the resurrection. But first, let me just uh, start it out by, by saying this. The Bible was written in a way to tell us exactly what happened that weekend. It was written in a way to tell us exactly what happened and it puts in just the right details for us to be convinced. First off, the Bible tells us that Jesus called a shot, that Jesus predicted the resurrection. And he did this over and over and over. I put just a few of the verses up about Jesus predicting his own death and resurrection. And he's doing this over and over, uh, primarily to his disciples, where he's saying, Hey, fellas, I'm, we're going to Jerusalem, and here's what's going to happen. If you go to that uh, Mark 10, he says, uh, is Jesus talking, he says, See, we're going to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death. All right, think about this. This is Jesus talking to his buddies, to the disciples. He's saying, all right, look, fellas, when we go to Jerusalem, here's what's fixing to happen. They're going to deliver me to the priests and the scribe. They'll condemn me to death. They'll deliver him to the Gentiles. They will mock him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. This is detailed, Right? Very detailed prophecy that Jesus has given. Do the disciples get it? No, they miss it, right? They're like, do what? You know, because he says, they're going to spit and flog and mock and kill me. And after three days, he will rise. And this he says plainly, but they miss it, right? But you know, who, it's, man, it's really fascinating. You know who doesn't miss it? You know who gets Jesus' predictions? His enemies. His friends don't get it, his predictions, but his enemies do. If you look at Matthew 27, after Jesus dies, some of his enemies are having a um, conversation. It says, the next day, that is the day after, after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate. And they said, sir, we remember how the imposter said while he was still alive, after three days, I will rise. So they get it. They understand. Yeah, well, he's talking about raising from the dead. And they say this. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell folks he's risen from the dead. And the last fraud will be worse than the first. And Pilate said to them, funniest verse in the Bible, you have a guard of soldiers, go make it as secure as you can. Good luck. Uh, so they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. So these guys, Jesus' enemies understood his predictions, but his disciples missed it, Right? They understood what's going on. What's fascinating to think about about this weekend is that Jesus' story was so public. Everybody in this huge city of Jerusalem knew what's going on, right? He had this big triumphal entry. He's making these big predictions. Everybody knows what's fixing to go on. Jesus is going to his death. And the Bible is written in a way to tell us exactly what, ha what happened. If you look, not only did Jesus predict his resurrection, but there were eyewitnesses to it. There were eyewitnesses to everything that went on in Jesus' life. You know, 
this story didn't happen in a time where there was video. You know, nowadays, if we want to know if something happens, we look up on YouTube, you know, like we look up for video proof of this or that happening. Now, this wasn't written in a time of video where we can go back and check the security cameras. But valid eyewitnesses wrote down what they saw. This is how all of history is done. The eyewitnesses wrote down what they saw. This is the most credible proof of the time, what all history is based on. So the Bible makes a specific point to tell us, I saw this. I'm an eyewitness. I saw this. If you look, um, Luke starts out his letter like this, and he's talking to Theophilus. He says, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative, a story, of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, Theophilus, that you might have certainty concerning the things that you've been taught. So he's saying, hey, you can be sure about this because I saw it. We received stories from other eyewitnesses, and I'm going to tell you what I saw. So the Bible is sure to tell us that it was written by eyewitnesses. Uh, if you look at John 19, he's, John's telling the story of the crucifixion, and right in the middle, he's talking about Jesus dying on the cross, and right in the middle, he takes a quick time out. And he's like, oh, hold up, hold up. And he tells him this, John 19 at the bottom. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he's telling the truth that you may also believe. This is like you telling a story, and the middle of the climax of the story, you break in and be like, now, you understand, I, I, I was there. I saw this. This really happened. I'm saying this so you can believe it. And then at the end, after the resurrection, John says in John 21, this is the disciple who, who is bearing witness about these things, and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. So the Bible is written by eyewitnesses. And these guys are pointing out that they're eyewitnesses, not that they heard this from somewhere else. You know what's fascinating about the, the resurrection weekend is that Christians and non-Christians will agree on some facts. All right? Here's some facts about that weekend that whether you're a skeptic or whether you're a believer, these are some facts that historians agree to. All right? The first fact, Jesus died by crucifixion. Skeptics and Christians alike will agree Jesus died by crucifixion. There's enough evidence, scriptural and non-scriptural. Now, you can't just throw out the Bible because you say, well, of course they wrote that. They believe in it because that's the best history of the time. And all history is written from a viewpoint, right? You get history of the Civil War, you either get it from the south side or from the north side, right? All history has a viewpoint. So you can't just throw out history because it has a viewpoint. So the, some of the best sources we have are the New Testament writings. But there are some other writings that will confirm the fact that Jesus died by crucifixion. Second fact. Jesus was buried. Jesus was buried. Third fact, Jesus' tomb was empty a few days later. Christians and non-Christians will agree. Now, they'll disagree as to why the tomb was empty. Fact four, the disciples had experiences that they believed were the literal appearances of the risen Jesus. The disciples believed that they saw Jesus, literally. Fact number five, the disciples were transformed from doubters who were afraid to identify with Jesus to bold proclaimers of his death and resurrection. And fact number six, the message of the resurrection was at the center of preaching in the, church's, in the early church's birth and growth. Christians and non-Christians agree that the reason the church spread was because they were teaching about the resurrection. Whether or not it happened, Christians and non-Christians will agree to this. So when you look at this list of facts, man, there's a lot of solid facts that Christians and non-Christians will agree on. Jesus died by crucifixion. He was buried. The tomb was empty. The disciples believed they saw Jesus. They were transformed. They changed from being scared to being bold. And 
the message that Christ had risen was at the center of the growth of the early church. So if everybody agrees that the tomb was empty, where do we disagree? Like where, where does it for some people become ghost story? And for some people, it's the object of our faith. Because if everybody agrees that the tomb was empty, there has to be reasons why, right? What other reason could you come up with for why the tomb might be empty? Well, skeptics have come up with a lot over the years. And these are kind of, what I'm going to give you next are some older arguments. And then I want to give you some newer ones that you'll probably face in a couple years when you go to school. A couple arguments for, that they would say, the tomb's empty, but it was because of this, not the resurrection. The first reason, the first objection to the resurrection is the, the swoon theory. Y'all heard of this? This is the theory that Jesus was up on the cross, like he had received this beating, he got crucified, because history tells us that, that he was crucified, he got a spear pierced in his side, but he didn't actually die. This is the theory, that they wrapped him in spices and put him in a tomb, and it was cold in there and dark, and he got better. He recovered. It was nice and cool in there, and he felt great, Right? And they'll say, you know, Jesus didn't really die. He recovered and he walked off. That's why the tomb was empty. Come on. For real? So what's crazy about this theory is, is, you know, the Romans were experts at crucifixion. They did it all the time, right? And they knew that people might appear dead but not really be dead. So they had some methods to ensure the victims were dead. Like they break their legs so that they couldn't push up for air anymore. Or they do what they did to Jesus, which is put a spear through his heart. They make sure they're dead. And the, remember, the Bible was written in a way to tell us exactly what happened. So, in, in, uh, in the book of Matthew, it tells us that Pilate himself directly contacted the centurion. They, Joseph of Arimathea goes up to Pilate and says, Hey, can, we have the, can I have the body? And Pilate goes, Hold up. He's already dead? I'm going to need some confirmation. Thank you. It's awesome that the Bible confirms this for us. So he goes to the centurion and says... Are you sure? Are you positive that Jesus is dead? And the centurion said, yes, he's dead. And he says, okay, you can bury him. Why'd the Bible put that fact in there? So that we can be sure that it wasn't a pass out and walk out, you know? We can be sure that he was really dead, right? So the, some other objections to this are just common sense. I mean, you, you were saying with this theory that Jesus was beaten almost to death, I mean, crucified, then thrown in a tomb, Laid down, covered in pounds and pounds and pounds of spices. And in a couple of days, recovered so well to break out of his spices, to roll a 600-pound stone away, to overpower a whole guard of Roman soldiers, and appear to the disciples in a way that they would think, this is the Lord. Heck no. That's dumb. You know, and people, uh, nowadays, people don't really try to argue this anymore. This is an old argument, but what's funny is even at the time, like when you look at the Bible, his enemies didn't even try to produce this argument because everybody had seen a crucifixion. No one would think, oh yeah, he lived through that. Second, um, second objection. Folks will say, okay, the tomb wasn't empty because of a swoon. It was empty because somebody stole the body. Okay. In fact, this is what Jesus' enemies came up with first. If you look at Matthew chapter 28 in verse 11, while they were going, behold, some of the guards went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. At this time, Jesus is already raised from the dead. The tomb's empty. 
And when they assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, tell people that his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we'll satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. All right, so this story about a stolen body starts from the very beginning where the soldiers come up and be like, man, the tomb's empty. We don't, we don't know what happened. And so the leaders say, take this money. This is hush money. You keep that quiet and you tell folks, we all fell asleep. All of us at the same time and slept so soundly that we did not hear 12 men coming in and rolling a 600-pound stone away and carting out a body and walking off. We were sleeping so sound. You know, because you think about a stolen body. If it's stolen by the disciples, how did they get past the guards? Because Pilate had told them, you have a guard, go make it as secure as you can. And when you think about it, Why would the disciples even do that? They don't even get the resurrection. Jesus tells them, I will die and raise again. And they say, huh? They don't get it at all, right? And these are simple men. They're moral men. After after Jesus dies, they're willing to go back to their boats. They're hiding scared. Would, Would the disciples have died if they knew they stole the body and put it somewhere else? Right? Would Christianity have spread on a stolen body? It's crazy. The other theory on stolen body is that, well, maybe the disciples didn't steal it. Maybe Jesus' enemies stole it. Why would they do that? Why would they steal it? Why, why wouldn't they, when, when the resurrection story starts spreading, why wouldn't they just bring out the body and be like, ta-da, here he is, go back to your homes, right? Third objection. First one's the swoon theory. Second one's the stolen body. The third one isn't a direct objection, but it's something that just kind of casts doubt on it. It's, aren't there discrepancies in the accounts? What does this mean? This means, man, it seems like the story's different. Have y'all ever done this? Have y'all ever read some of the stories in the Bible side by side? Like, if you read a story in Matthew, and then you read the same story in Mark, and then you read the same story in Luke and compare them? You ever done that before? Because sometimes there's some differences, and you're like, Hold up. What? Why are these different? You know, because when you look at the story of the resurrection, that's where some of the discrepancies come in. Because, you know, like Mark will say, they walked into the tomb and they saw one guy. Well, then Matthew might tell us, I forget which one, but one of the books tells us that they walked up and they saw two angels. Another one said they saw one angel. So which was it? One angel, one guy, two angels? Which was it? Who came to find Jesus' body? Because one of them says Mary. One of them says Mary and a group of ladies. One of them says Mary and a group of larger ladies. Not that the ladies themselves were larger, but that the group of ladies was larger. I don't know. All right, so, so which, which was it? You know, when you, read the, when you read these stories, it's important to remember the Bible is without error in its originals. We, we do several breakouts on the reliability of Scripture. I encourage you to go look at these. But... You know, the Bible was written, God allowed it to be written through people's uh, viewpoints while still preserving the integrity of his word. And so sometimes these guys will emphasize different things, right? Let's say that you are going down the river today and so is your buddy. Let's say that there's a big fight that happens and one of y'all gets thrown in the water. Are you going to tell that story the exact same way as your friend? No, never, right? You might include a different group of people. You might say, and John was in my boat. Are you saying that's the only person that was in your boat? 
Because somebody else might have said, John was in my boat, and also Ashley, and also Brittany, and, you know, like list all the people in the boat. It's just a different way of telling the story, right? So a lot of times these discrepancies, these apparent discrepancies in the accounts are just point of view type things. Because even John, man, he writes his stories in a totally different way than the other guys. Other guys will include lots of detail and John's like, straight to the point, man. John doesn't tell us the story of, of Simon carrying Jesus' cross for a while. It doesn't serve his purposes. He's getting straight to the point. He wants to just tell this part of the story. So... Those discrepancies in the stories really lead us to believe that they're true because these guys are telling from their own viewpoint. If everybody, if you're going rafting today and I say, hey, tell me about your trip on the river and three people tell me the exact same story with the exact same word and I'd be like, something's up. Y'all being weird. Why don't y'all all say the exact same phrases, right? But if they tell it from the point of view, it's real. Fourth thing, fourth objection. Why was the tomb empty? Maybe they went to the wrong one. Mistaken grave. Maybe that tomb was empty. They just dug it. And Jesus is next door. But the Bible was written in a way to tell us exactly what happened that weekend. That's why in Luke 23, 55, it tells us that the ladies watched Jesus being buried. They took note of exactly where he was laid. All right, so if Jesus was really in the tomb next door, you know what Jesus' enemies could have done? Gone there and got his body and been like, No, he's not raised from the dead. He's right here. He's right next door. Check it out. These are some older objections. I'll tell you this. When you go to school, when you go to college in a couple years, you probably are not going to hear any objections like this. What you probably will hear are the next two objections I'm going to tell you. And these are like less zoom in on the details and more zoom out. All right? These are some of the attacks you'll hear against the resurrection and against Christianity in general. The next objection is, all of this is just one big legend. It's just made up. The story of the crucifixion, the story of the resurrection, most of the details of Jesus' life, the, the miracles, the healings, all of this is just a story that grew and grew and grew. Yeah, Jesus was probably a historical figure, but man, this, this is just a legend. It was written down so many years after the fact that it'd be like us writing about Abraham Lincoln today. Well, I want to give you three reasons this isn't a legend. First is, the story was circulated immediately. Immediately. You know, it's oral tradition until it's written down. So these guys were circulating the story immediately. The second reason that it's not just one big myth or legend is because the story is simple and it's detailed. You know, myths and legend, they kind of are, are fantastic. But these stories are simple, and they have dates and locations and public figures. The stories don't grow over time like a legend. We, uh, my family and I, we live right behind the paintball field. Um, so if you look at the back of the paintball field, uh, there's a field, and then there's our house. Don't shoot it with paintball guns, please. <laughs> Uh, so, but we live back there and there's a patch of woods kind of separating our house from camp. And so a lot of times my kids will just walk through the woods to come over here and hang out with me. And so my daughter was walking through the woods one day and she was by herself. She was coming to bring me something I'd forgotten. And, uh, she was by herself and she gets about halfway and freaks out and goes back to the house. And she tells Amy, my wife, she says, I saw something in the woods. And Amy said, what was it? She said, it was a bobcat. And now... I've seen a pretty big bobcat in those woods before. And I thought, uh-oh. And so she was, like, she was really freaked out. She was like, there's a bobcat. It was really big. And, uh, and she said, and it was yellow. And I said, oh, hold up. 
That's probably not a bobcat. She was like, it was really big, and it was yellow, and it had a big tail. And I thought, what is that? And so I went on YouTube, and I looked up videos of anything it could be, and I kind of put them side by side. So I was like, here's a video of a coyote walking. Here's a video of a bobcat walking. Here's a video of a mountain lion walking, you know, and so... Because there are some cases of mountain lions in this area. Don't freak out. But there are. And so, like, I showed them to my daughter. I was like, so tell me what you saw. And so I showed the video of the coyote walking. She goes, nah, that's not it. Showed the video of the bobcat. And I thought she was going to say, oh, that's it. And I was going to have to go kill a bobcat. And showed the video of the bobcat walking. She goes, nah, that's not really it. And then I showed a video of a mountain lion. And as soon as it came on, she goes, oh, that's it. That's it. That's it. That's it. And I thought, oh, my gosh, we've got a mountain lion. And so I set up a trail camera, right? I want to, you know, to the, the take a picture of deer at night. And I set up a trail camera, and Amy thought she had seen maybe something in the woods, and everybody's kind of freaking out, and everybody's like, it was a mountain lion, and it came over here and jumped over the fence, you know. And I kept hearing these more details about this mountain lion, and I was thinking, all right, Amy, let's keep the kids near the house for the next couple of days so we can figure out what this is. And then we're driving like two days later. We're driving down our road, and all of a sudden this orange cat goes boink, out into the road and she goes there it is <laughs> and he just kind of trots down the road and i said there what is and she's like the mountain lion <laughs> I was like, oh man and so i sped up and hit the mountain no, i'm just kidding uh, <laughs> but you know like a legend will grow and grow and grow over time until it gets fantastic a real story won't, right? Because there, there are people to keep it in check and be like, no, nah, that's not what happened, man. What's crazy is, um, well, I'll give you the next fact and then I'll, then I'll go into that. The third reason it's not a legend is because this story can contain some embarrassing details. Like, first off, that nobody gets the resurrection. But also that things like that women were the ones that found the tomb. You know, women in this day weren't even allowed to testify in court. So if you're making up a story about the resurrection, you wouldn't put that women were the one to find it. You'd put that some politician would be the one to find it. Um, To claim that this is legend, what you'd have to say is that these are made up stories years later. But you'd have to combat the fact that really these are oral tradition. First Corinthians 15, they believe, is a saying from like a couple years after Jesus raised from the dead. Second, you'd have to combat the fact To say this is legend, you'd have to ignore eyewitnesses because there are people that are there. Let me ask you, how many of y'all were not born when 9-11 happened? Dang, I feel old. Y'all were born after September of 2001? Man, how do you know it happened? What? TV. All right, let's say we don't have TV. How would you know it happened? Parents, newspaper, okay. Yeah. Because you'd have, you think about this. This happened within most of our lifetimes, right? So how do you know that the, that the 9-11 happened, that the planes actually flew into the towers? A couple of reasons. The towers aren't there anymore. That's a big one. And second, you can ask an eyewitness. There are hundreds of them. People that watch the planes fly into the towers. The towers aren't there, and you can ask an eyewitness. Same thing in Jesus' day. How do you know that the tomb's empty? There's no body there. And you can ask an eyewitness. You can ask somebody that's there. That's how you combat the legend. Because these guys are saying, I was an eyewitness. I was there. And the origin of the Christian faith, man, the resurrection was the foundation. It wasn't a later addition. I need to hurry. The last objection is that simply the reason the resurrection couldn't happen is because it's a miracle. And miracles can't happen. 
you will hear this in school. And when they say it, it's going to seem to make a lot of sense. Because when they say it, they'll, they'll say it something like this. Okay, so we have these facts. But if we're doing history, why in the world would we say, you know, history is a game of probability. What probably happened according to these facts? Why in the world would you say somebody raising from the dead is the most probable thing that happened? Couldn't you think of another probable explanation, like somebody else stole the body and the guards killed him to, to cover it up that they were incompetent? Couldn't you think of another explanation other than someone raising from the dead? Well, sure, you could think of a lot of other explanations. But when you, when you remember, you know, even just saying miracles can't happen, that's a larger statement. You're saying something larger about the universe and how it came to be. And saying miracles can't happen means that everything can be explained by science. And then you have to wrestle with things like, can love be explained by science? Can emotions be explained by science? Things like that. But also you have to wrestle with the fact that Jesus predicted it. He called his shot. He said exactly what was going to happen, and it happened. And lastly, you know, this when you're looking at the resurrection, the event was a miracle, but the evidence is historical. That's big. We're not pulling out some electromagnetic boogeyman box and going in an empty grave and going, <laughs> seems like somebody raised from the dead in here, right? The, the event was a miracle, but the evidence is historical. You have eyewitness accounts, right? Let me give you some proofs for the resurrection. I need to hurry. Some proofs for the resurrection. If not for the resurrection, how do you account for these things? First thing, extra biblical accounts. Of course, the best history we have is in the Bible. But if this really happened, shouldn't someone else have written about it? Absolutely. Let me give you a couple of quotes here. If y'all want these PowerPoints or PowerPoints from any breakout, by the way, all y'all got to do is email us. Our emails, all the guys that are teaching breakouts, are first names at swoutfitters.com. So Spencer at swoutfitters.com, Rob, Zach, Brody, whoever. All right, moving on. Uh, if not for the resurrection, how do you account for extra biblical accounts? Let me read some quotes. These are from guys that are non-Christians, just historians at the time. Josephus writes about this. He says, Now there was about this time Jesus... A wise man, he was a doer of wonderful works, a teacher of such men as received the truth with pleasure. He drew over to him both many of the Jews and many of the Gentiles. And when Pilate, at the suggestion of the principal men among us, had condemned him to the cross, those that loved him at first did not forsake him, and the tribe of Christians so named for him are not extinct at this day. Lots of facts packed in here about Jesus. You have other historians that are non-biblical accounts. Next one, Julius Africanus, quoting Thallus, talking about the darkness that was on the, uh, at the cross. It says, Thallus, in the third book of his histories, explains away this darkness as an eclipse, unreasonably as it seems to me, because a solar eclipse could not take place at the time of the full moon, and it was at the season of the Pascal full moon that Christ dies. I mean, these guys are arguing details about that weekend and uh, a phenomenon that was happening in the sky, or maybe not. They're saying, man, some people think that the sky went dark because of an eclipse, but I'm saying it was a full moon. And it couldn't have happened at the Pascal full moon. Next one. Mar Barserapion is, is comparing uh, some guys here. And he says, uh, what advantage did the Jews gain from executing their wise king? Just after that, their kingdom was abolished. Skips down and it said, the wise king didn't die for good. He lived on the teaching which he had given. The last one's from Tacitus. And he says this. He's talking about Nero. And he's talking about Nero persecuting Christians. And he says, hence to suppress the rumor, he, Nero, falsely charged with guilt and punished with the most exquisite tortures the persons commonly called Christians who were hated for their enormities. Christus, the founder of the name, was put to death by Pontius Pilate, procurator of Judea in the reign of Tiberius. But their pernicious superstition 
repressed for a time, broke out again, not only through Judea where the mischief originated, but through the city of Rome also. Leave that up for a second. Um, What superstition is he talking about? He's saying, look how many facts he puts in here. He says, Christ was put to death. He was put to death by Pontius Pilate. Pilate was the procurator of Judea in the reign of Tiberius, exactly what Luke calls him. But But the pernicious superstition that was repressed broke out again and now it spread. What superstition? Resurrection. He's saying Christianity is spreading because of this superstition that Jesus raised from the dead. He's a non-Christian. Of course, he's not buying into it. But these guys, from the mouths of non-believers, the literature is talking about Christ's death, his burial, and his resurrection. It's not like the Christians were believing despite the literature. Second proof. If not for the resurrection, how do you account for post-resurrection appearances? This is a big one. You have eyewitnesses all over the place. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 6 says, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, that He appeared to Cephas, Peter, then to the twelve, then He appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then He appeared to James, last of all to me. See what He's saying? If you want proof of the resurrection, go ask one of these guys. Most of them are still alive. This is what Paul's saying to these guys. He appeared to Peter. He appeared to the 12. Then he appeared to 500 people. Go ask one. Go ask one of these non-believers. I'm I'm sorry. Go ask one of these uh, eyewitnesses. Go ask one of them. You can ask James. You can ask me. Jesus appeared to all of us. There's eyewitnesses everywhere. And the skeptics of the day could have just asked an eyewitness. Some people will say this is a hallucination. That all these guys didn't really see Jesus. They kind of saw what they wanted us to see. Have you ever had a weird dream? Have you ever had this happen where you dream the exact same thing as 500 other people the same night? Absolutely not. Hallucinations don't happen in a group, right? Not like that. This is real. And a hallucination, you can't touch the nail prints. A hallucination wouldn't have convinced Thomas, right? He says, this is... The Bible was written in a way to tell us exactly what happened that weekend. Thomas wouldn't have believed the hallucination if he could have waved his hand through it. He said, I'm not going to believe it until I touch it. We put a lot of doubt, I mean, a lot of, we bashed Thomas pretty good until we realized, oh, that's why. That's why it was written like that. So we believe that Jesus had a body and ate fish and sat with his disciples. The third thing, the third proof for the resurrection If not for the resurrection, how do you explain the transformation of the disciples? You think about it, man. These guys did not understand the resurrection at all. John 20, when Mary comes to the tomb, she doesn't come. And when the tomb's empty, she doesn't go, he is risen. What does she say? Who took him? Who took his body? They're not looking for a resurrection. In fact, when Jesus died, they're confused. They're scattered. They go back to their homes. They go back to their jobs. They lock themselves in a room because they're scared to death. And then Jesus appears to them and they get bold. They get bold. They spread out. Boom. I mean, simple fishermen who did not understand this message are all of a sudden transformed. How does that happen? Guys don't die a martyr's death because of a hallucination or because of a, a conspiracy. If they knew they stole a body, they wouldn't die for that, Right? History tells us, and and this isn't in the Bible except for one or two of these guys. History tells us that these guys, most of them, not all of them, probably died martyrs' deaths. If you look at this chart real quick, James killed with sword, Peter crucified, Andrew crucified, Thomas killed with spears, 
Philip crucified, Matthew beheaded, Bartholomew crucified, Simon crucified, Judas, the other Judas, beaten to death, Paul beheaded. History tells us that these guys spread out. Boom! What made them so bold? Jesus came back. They touched his hands. They saw him. They watched him eat fish. They were transformed. They had called it quits after the, after the crucifixion. And then after the resurrection, they spread. The last proof. How do you explain the... the uh, if not for the resurrection, how do you explain the spread of Christianity? Christianity should have died at the cross. If weren't for the resurrection. I'll read this quote. In a culture of logic and proof, the apostles later appealed to the minds and judgments of their hearers. What convinced the people that the apostles were right and that the priests were wrong? Facts that couldn't be suppressed. Right? Facts that couldn't be suppressed. Christianity didn't die out. It exploded because of the teaching of the resurrection. Now, what happened that weekend is crucial Especially when we think of what Brody just talked about, the object of your faith. What is your faith in? I think the tendency nowadays is to just say, man, that happened so long ago. We can't really know what happened. And you know what? Even if it did happen, so what? What does it matter to me? That doesn't affect my life very much. You know, it doesn't really have an impact on me. Yeah, it does. Absolutely it does. And what we do, I mean, all, all of Christianity hangs on the resurrection. What we do with that is important because the resurrection proves Christ claims to be God. And we have to deal with that. We have to deal with that. I'm going to read this passage in closing. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there's no resurrection from the dead? If there's no resurrection from the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. If Christ hasn't been raised, then our preaching's in vain and your faith is in vain. We're even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that He raised Christ, whom He didn't raise, if it's true that the dead aren't raised. If the dead aren't raised, Christ hasn't been raised. If Christ hasn't been raised, then your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Christ has been raised from the dead. You can put your faith and trust in Christ. We can trust the Scriptures because the Bible is written in a way to tell us exactly what happened that weekend. This is something you need to talk about this week. You can talk about this in share groups. Proof for the resurrection. How do we know? And the object of our faith is solid because Christ is solid. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for, for writing the Bible in a way to combat all of the questions that our natural minds come up with. I thank you for letting Thomas doubt so we know you have a physical body. I thank you for appearing to the disciples so that we know it's not just a hallucination or some dream. I thank you for being beaten so graphically so we know you didn't just pass out and recover. I thank you for predicting the resurrection. So we know what happened when the tomb was empty. I thank you for the proofs that you've given us in your word. I pray that these things would affect us daily. I pray that they would affect the way we treat each other and look at each other and think about you. God, I pray that this would affect our day to day. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.